Whose phone was that? Not mine. Oh, look, Amanda finally got in trouble. Guess she's not your favorite kid anymore. Welcome to Bubbles and Books, a podcast about two of the best things in life. Books and champagne. Brought to you by Amanda and Ellen, co-owners of your local independent bookstore, Dog-Eared Books in Ames, Iowa. First, give me a cheers. Okay. Okay, we're ready. And books are sexy. Okay, today's champagne is coming from my private reserve because we're out at the store. I like that you have a private reserve. Yeah. I have a private reserve of raspberry white claw. That's important. I'm out of white claw. Um, we are drinking Domaine Carneros. This is Ooh, my very favorite. Yeah, you like this one. Yeah, it's from California. It's extra dry. And this vineyard is owned by Tadding Jay. Um, they are a epic French champagne house. And so you get all the benefits of French champagne, but at a California price. Where are the napkins? Oh, go get some napkins. Sorry. Austin wouldn't. That usually doesn't happen. No, they actually got a pretty good record. It smells really good. I know. (laughs) It's going to smell so boozy up here. I like my loft boozy smelling. Okay, should we start? Sure. All right. Now that we have our champagne poured, Ellen, I want to hear what you've been reading. Okay. So I was gone last week and I've read a number of books since we last talked on this podcast. I'm going to talk about a couple. So I'm currently reading Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson. This is a debut novel and it's a book club pick for read with jenna for the today show she picks good books yeah she does um so black cake is about these two siblings a brother and a sister byron and benny and they have been estranged for about a decade so byron is like the golden child of the family and benny's a little bit of like the black sheep well <clears throat> their dad died a couple years ago benny did not come to the funeral and their mother has just died and she's finally back and the mother left them this eight-hour recording of her telling, like, the family story. Wow. And so they're listening to their mother's story. And um, it's about their Caribbean heritage. Um, it's, a, it's a family saga that goes back decades. And so they're learning truths about their family and their parents' lives that they didn't know before. And uh, it's just so well-written and really engaging. So I'm flying through that one. I also read In Love by Amy Bloom, which is a memoir. So Amy Bloom's husband, Brian, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, early onset Alzheimer's. And he had been struggling with memory loss for a few years. But when he got his diagnosis, he decided within a few days that he wanted to end his life. Wow. He wanted her to help him. And so the memoir is about her decision to support him in that. So eventually they went to Switzerland and to a place that is for that. Um, So, and and that's where he died. And so it's really about, it's a tribute to her husband. Like it's a really beautiful moving tribute to this man who she loved. Um, 
And also like just her ruminating on the fact that, um, you know, somebody who's struggling the way that he did, that he was, did not have easy access to the choice that he wanted to make here in the United States. Was it hard to read? Um, I mean, it was obviously it's sad. Did you Um, cry? I cried at the end because, but I, I cried at the end because I don't think this is like spoiling anything. Right. But the last chapter is her recalling their wedding. And it's just, the whole book is just a really like, it's about honoring him and the person he was. And so it was like, wow, she really fucking loved him. Yeah. Like she got behind him in this and she sat with him while he died and lost the love of her life, you know? Um, but I thought it was just so well, so well done. Do I know Amy Bloom? Is she an author? Yeah, she's a, she's an author. She's written for a television show. I feel like I read a book she read, wrote called White Houses. Yep. About Eleanor Roosevelt yep. and her. That's her. Lesbian love. Yep. That's really cool. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's very well written. It's not a long book. Like I read it in an afternoon. Um, but it's. It's like got that sort of, you know, that like political aspect of it, right? Where you're talking about what should people have the right to um, when they're ill. Mm-hmm. But it's really like her, their love story and what it means to love somebody, even wow. in the darkest of yeah. situations. What are you reading? I just finished Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Um, I want to read it. I know. It's got a cute cover. It's got a really cool cover. I spoke last week that this was the book I was picking up from our new release table. And it just grabbed me. Um, I stayed up way too late the night before uh, early morning activity. Uh, I think it was like 1.30. And I was like, oh, God. And I don't do well on not enough sleep. So (laughs) I I saved like the last 20% to read in between activities on Saturday. Um, the premise is what grabbed me to start with this book, besides a super cool cover. Um, it is about Elizabeth Zott, who is a determined chemist working at Hastings Research Institute. And her area of focus is called abiogenesis, which is about all of life originating from a single, like, non, um, non-alive um, cell. Like we came from the ooze, right? Um, And so her research is around trying to prove that. But it's the late 1950s, 1960 uh, world. And she's a woman in a STEM field. So she's both in college, in her work situation, and moving forward, dealing with ridiculous sexism. So that's a big theme of the story. Um, But also her determination to never step away from what she wants. So the path of her story in this is she is a a high-level chemist um, struggling in a male-dominated company. There is a love interest. um, The head scientist at Hastings, like Nobel Prize nominated multiple times, Kelvin Evans, um, they have a love affair. But we know 10 years later, she's on her own and she's a single mother. And now she's the star of this nationally syndicated, uber popular 
TV show called Supper at Six. Okay, so it's kind of like figuring out the leap between right. being this scientist at this company to mm-hmm. now this. Right. Okay, cool. Um, she is beloved across the nation. And what's interesting is she's not beloved for fitting a stereotype. She treats this cooking show as a chemistry lab. And she is speaking about the importance of women and their contributions to take seriously what you do with food, be, you know, nutritionally balanced, um, how important it is that you're feeding your family. Um, and she treats her recipes like chemistry experiences, experiments. So all of the producers at this TV station think, you know, nobody wants this. Nobody wants to hear a woman talking about science. They just want you to look pretty in this on this pretty set and just go through the motions. And, and what they discover is that women want more. So this is a really cool feminist story. Um, it's a love story. It's a family story. There's a fantastic cast of characters, supporting characters. There's a dog. There's narration from the point of the dog, which I love. The dog's name is 630, which is very quirky. Um, and I, I think this writer is someone pretty special. I, I don't know, this isn't called her debut. So I imagine she's written something else, but, um, her background is in, copywriting and creative directing in technology, medicine, and education. Um, But I think there's a lot of her in this book. Um, She calls herself a rower. Rowing plays into the Um, storyline. She has daughters. Um, She's from California. um, And her dog is called 99. So unusual dog names. (laughs) Number names. Yeah. So you told me when you first started it that it was giving you Where'd You Go Bernadette vibes, which is such a great book. Right. And it, it's that and more. Okay. Um, it's definitely, where'd you go, Bernadette? Um, I get the sense of Mad Men. Um, Hidden Figures. Okay. The it, Was that a book or a movie? I think it was a it book was a first. Book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then a movie. So this this idea of the time period and the, the great underestimated potential of women. I This will be one of my favorite year, reads of the year. Okay. I can't wait to try it myself. All right, we have a fun topic of conversation today. <laughs> you did a lot of research. I did, and I'm really speaking ex- of women and science and research. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited to talk about some of the things I learned. I watched YouTube videos and read articles. Wow. Okay, we're playing okay. this or that. I'll guide us through, and okay. you will both answer. But there will be a little bit to learn along the way. So we're talking about different components of book production. We see a lot of books come through this store, and we have developed increasingly particular preferences on cover styles, book binding, um, cover images, things like that. Um, the first this or that option I'm going to present is, um, do you like straight edge book pages or decal edge? And so I should explain, decal edge is the rough um, uneven, um, natural looking, um, bookends or book page ends, um, as opposed to what we're used to in other books being very clean and straight and even. So do you have a preference? I like them both for different reasons. So I'm going to say it's a tie. Okay. So I like the clean edges cause it's easier to read. It's easier mm-hmm. to flip the pages. Mm-hmm. 
but deviled edge has like a texture to it. Mm -hmm. So when you think about like holding a book in your mm -hmm. hands and feeling the book, plus it looks a little fancier. So you're like, oh, okay. How about you? I hate turning a deckle edge page. <laughs> I agree with you, but I will pick a straight edge every single time. I have other fancy preferences that I think give the elevation that I'm looking for. But in a would book. you like not read a book because it had deckle edge pages? No, but I'm going to be annoyed the whole time. Okay. You'll so say you're like, I'm going to, I want to read this book because I feel like it's worth something, but I'm going to be slightly pissed off. Right. And I it's pretentious. It. Here's why. This is where the research comes in. Okay. Okay. So. <laughs> All books were deckle edged to begin with because they used a deckle, which was where you made paper to, um, you know, take all those fibers and dry them into pages of a book. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't get a perfect seal around the edges of the deckle. And so some of that fiber would leak out and create kind of an uneven edge. And unless someone came back around and cut clean those edges, which added extra cost to the book, then the book was deckle edged. So it kind of has this old world feel until the beginning of the 1800s with the invention of the Fordrinier machine. This was a machine that made paper in long rolls. The end of the roll would end up having a deckle edge, but they would, they would clean that up. So that was the end of deckle edge until we started um, reinventing the deckle edge in a machine-made process. So people are bringing it back. Um, it says, as of 2016, modern deckle is produced with a purpose-built machine to give the appearance of a true deckle edge by cutting a smooth edge into patterns. So they're literally taking something that was a smooth edge and punching it out to look like it had been produced page by page in a very um, irregular way. So it's like a t-shirt that's meant to look retro, but it's new. Right. Okay. It's kind of fake. I feel you. I feel you. Right. Um, something else I learned, and I, I was reading about it in a book. I, I didn't know what this in term- In a book? Was yeah. it deckle-edged? No. Okay. Good. I don't think it was deckle-edged. Um, but it was talking about pages being uncut, a, a library being full of- Oh, uncut yeah. pages. Actually, it wasn't. It was in uh, Pride and Premeditation. Um, uh, Greg Gatsby has that too. Yeah, the uncut pages yeah. in his library. Yeah, yeah, right. Which means it's been. It's either a collector book that you want to keep in that condition, or um, it's not been read, and it, it, it's, it's like a book for show. Yeah, it's yes. a book for show. So in the olden days, the olden days of book publishing, um, when the the larger piece of paper was folded to create individual pages. The fold would not be cut until the reader chose to cut it with a paper knife. So as you read the book, you would slice open those folds at the top of the pages that That's, bound them that together. That seems a little bit labor intensive I know. and slightly dangerous. I know. It, I, and, but and, I kind of want to try it. Right. And you would probably end up with some deckle edge cuts because you wouldn't necessarily be skilled with your knife. Oh, yeah. I'd be like holding my coffee in one hand, trying to slice open the page and with the other. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Okay. Hit me. Is hardcover or paperback? This is pretty simple, but people and staff have preferences. We have people who choose one or the other. We have customers who come in and even if something's available on paperback, they don't want to own it unless it's a hardcover. Do you have a preference? I don't have a preference when it comes to like ownership because I, you know, pretty heavily maim my books. So I don't need this like pristine condition hardcover situation. So 
I just buy the books I want to read and Mm -hmm. I don't really care if it's hardcover or paperback. I think that the actual act of reading a paperback is easier than a hardcover because like the jacket gets to be a lot and a hardcover can be a bit more like unwieldy. Um, But I like to read newer releases. So I'm always like trying to stay on top of what's coming out. So Mm -hmm. most of what I read is actually hardcover. But I think just in terms of like what I prefer maybe a paperback how about you i prefer a paperback but with a caveat uh which will lead to good vocab word yeah the next this or that which is french flaps or trick is a french flap you really don't know no you do too know okay okay tell me okay a french flap oh yeah that a french flap is when the paperback cover has an extra fold so um, it's when oh, it's yeah. like ha- it mimics the dust jacket. So it has an extra fold into the book. And this is done for additional like um, visual space to include more information or images. Okay. Um, it is one way that books have started to be produced first in paperback, with, but with this added design element. Um, so if you skip the hardback, stage some of uh, some books are being published straight to a french flap paperback okay. um so you get that extra fold um in the cover and the added benefit is you can use the french flap as a bookmark so you could yes yeah. yes okay you've read french flap books i know you probably I own have. some yes do um, you have a preference over a traditional paperback or a french flap well i'm not going to use a french flap to like bookmark my page because the truth is I will always dog ear or I will just set the book down you know open spine up yeah (laughs) and that's just how I roll like so no I don't I think maybe I would prefer not to have the French flap (gasps) I love the French flap that's my favorite so so that's your snobby thing where I'm like ooh, deco edges but oftentimes deco edge goes hand in hand with the French flap so I have to take the deco edge if I want the French flap so then it kind of is like a wash for you yeah okay it makes the deco edge tolerable for me okay all right next up would be and this is both for paperbacks and hardcovers. Do you prefer a matte or a glossy cover? Matte, hundred percent. Okay. How about you? Okay, a hundred percent matte. But let's get into the subcategories of matte. Um, okay. In my research, here are a few things I learned. So there's glossy. Glossy. You know what glossy is? It's super shiny. It's slick. Um, it's pretty consistent. Glossy always feels a little bit like. I don't know. Not as high quality to me. Yeah. Commercial. Yeah. It's yeah. for the plebes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There are subcategories okay. of matte. Tell so me. there's matte that we're used to. Um, it's kind of, it still has a coated smooth finish, but it's not shiny. Okay. But then there's something called super matte. And I didn't know what this was. I didn't know that was the term for this type of cover, but it's those rubbery covers. Yeah, I don't like those. I hate those. I don't like, actually, those come in damaged quite a bit. Right. They end up showing finger marks, dirt. Um, Some people, this is their favorite version of a book. They love that texture and what it feels like in their hands. I think that's like, for me, like eating cottage cheese. I don't know what to do with it. Like chew, (laughs) swallow. 
I don't know. Yeah, I don't eat cottage cheese, so neither do I. Good. That's why I don't analogy. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think just from a bookseller perspective, it's it. Those are the books that consistently arrive like looking like crap that then we can't put on the shelf. The next subcategory of a matte finish is called uncoated. These are the ones that feel very papery. So it feels like very natural paper. You can feel kind of the fibers. Um, It's got a very dry finish. Okay. So kind of like braiding sweetgrass. Yes, Braiding Sweetgrass, I bet, is uncoated. Some of our picture books are uncoated. And one of the things we've um, noticed is uncoated books are the ones that have issues with stickers. So the labels we put on the back of books to say where they live in our store, if we try and remove that sticker on an uncoated book, it will most often tear the cover. Okay, that's annoying when that happens. Right. But as far as like reading and holding it, I I don't mind that texture. I kind of like it. It has a very art finish. Yeah. Okay. So what do you, the next category would be special effects or no special effects. So I'm going to lay out what some of the special effects are and you tell me whether you like it or not. Okay. Wow. You've really done your work, Amanda. I know. Okay. There is something called spot UV. Spot UV is when you have a matte cover, but you want maybe the title to be glossy or Mm -hmm. certain parts of the cover to be glossy. And so they put the gloss finish on and they use spot UV to like hold it in place. What do you think? Spot UV or no spot UV? I mean, I think it depends on the overall cover design. Okay. So I'm, I'm trying to think of a book that would have that, um, what's that one book? No one is talking about this or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That would be an example, right? Right. Um, I think that's a really gorgeous cover. That's a that's a good use of that. I think it probably depends on what part is being. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's art. Yeah, it, yeah, it could exactly. be ill used or uh, well used. Yeah. Okay. Then another special effect would be embossing and debossing. This is where either parts of the cover are raised, like um, the letters of the title. Or there could be depressions in the cover to create a pattern. Do you think the use of embossing and debossing is attractive? I think it's attractive. I like when I can feel the letters of the title raised. So I would pick, I would pick this. I would say go for it. Yeah, I think so too. It just gives it like the image of it a texture. So for me, it's like how all the elements of the cover work together, Mm -hmm. right? Oftentimes, an embossed title will also be spot UV treated. treated. So lessons in chemistry, I have a matte cover. It might be close to super matte, but not quite there. So it's a matte cover, and then the um, cover, the title is embossed, as are some of the designs of the profile on the of the main character on the front, and then it also has the spot UV treatment on the embossed area. Okay. And it makes for a really attractive cover. All right. Um, Something we, I don't know if we have it in our store, but I've seen it. Okay. When the pages, the block, they call it the block, uh, all the pages stacked together, um, the, the side of the book, in which you can see all the ends of the pages. I don't know where the deck ledge would be or the straight edge would be. There sometimes is printing that creates an image 
on the end of those pages where you can see a word spelled out. Have you have you seen this? Or an image on the end of the pages? Um, rarely, yes, I've seen that. I think that is a little... I, w- I would choose not to do that. I feel like that's taking books and turning them into kitschy things. Yeah, I mean, I think it would depend on the... On the like, would it make sense with the book? I, I always think that you have to take it in its totality. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that sometimes annoys me is when writers like forego punctuation and it feels a little pretentious but like for example in girl woman other by bernardine Evaristo, she does not use punctuation but it totally makes sense with the story she's telling like i understand why she made that Mm -hmm. choice so it doesn't bother me in that book i think it's an artistic choice that makes sense i have yet to find a book that has printing on the page the the block yeah. The edges of the pages that that makes sense to me. Okay. I think it's just like kitschy. It's like one more way they're trying to grab attention. Okay. So if you or I ever publish a book, we won't do that. Right. And I'm sorry, I don't have the technical name for what Except people... your block could say like, I love Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. Okay. It's a deal. You heard it here. All right. Those are my this or that's. You guys can play along. Um online on one of our social media outlets and let us know what your preferences are. So last week, new releases really loaded up on our new release table and all throughout the store. This week's a little bit slower, but there are a few notable titles. So Ellen, tell me about what you see in paperbacks that's interesting. Okay, A Swim in a Pond in the Rain by George Saunders. So this is a collection of essays paired with um, sort of classic or iconic short stories and really it's Saunders describing like how fiction works and how storytelling works and why it's important another book is first person singular by Haruki Murakami if you love Murakami you gotta check this one out while justice sleeps by Stacey Abrams a political thriller and then broken horses by my favorite a memoir Mandy Brandy Carlisle who performed at the Grammys last week and everyone's like oh my god I love Brandy now who is this chick and I'm like bitch I was seeing her when she was playing casinos. Okay, that's all I have to say. Welcome to the Bramley. What casino did you see her at? Some casino in Council Bluffs. Probably, wow. probably where I'm going to see Hanson this summer. <laughs> the first time I went to see her, my my friend brought me along. I'd never heard of her, and we just went to this small bar in a casino. And I've you know seen her many times since. And now she's playing arenas. We had a Brandy Carlisle day when the hardcover published. So this is a very good and exciting. Yeah. And, you know, she Brandy grew up in less than ideal circumstances, uh, pretty impoverished. And she some of her most, you know, famous songs or her most beautiful songs she wrote when she was a teenager. So she's like just a true talent, a true musician. And her life story is really interesting. Yeah. She kind of lives in a commune. With her bandmates. And yeah, so she plays, all... yeah, she plays with these twins, Phil and Tim. And she always, every time you see her in concert, she'll say, we shouldn't have called our band Brandy Carlisle because it really is the three of us. Mm. We write the songs together. We, like, we're the band. But they've been playing together since they were, you know, kids. Mm-hmm. And now they're in their 40s and they made it big. And and there's some story about sisters, but there's a lot of intermarrying. Not Yeah, so her sister is married to one of the twins. Right. And they all live on like this big, 
you know, tract of land together mm-hmm. in rural Washington state. Um, but just, uh, she's just so talented. Like she's the real, she's the real deal. And her voice is so strong. And she's a good person. Right. You know, she's doing good things in the world. So anyway, I've been to Brandy Carlisle yeah. and read her book. Okay. What's in hardcover? I've been waiting a long time to tell people about Bomb Shelter by Mary Laura Philpot. I got in. Yeah, I remember when you when we got the arc for this. I was very excited. Um, she is known for uh, the collection of essays, "I Miss You When I Blink," and uh, God, this was a five star read for me. Another best of the year. Wow. It was like having a super long conversation with your best friend from college, high school, someone who knows you intimately. Um, it She echoed so much of what it, I feel every single day, especially the vulnerability that you have when you love deeply. So hopefully everyone has put their heart out there with their children, their family, but Mary Laura's love and anxiety about her love, the fear of losing what she loves, is very relatable to me. It consumes how she lives life. And that's how I am. So in this collection of essays, she is mourning the passage of time. She's reflecting on how her body's changing, how the pandemic has changed life, how her children are growing up and going to go off to college and really trying to hold on to them. And it's about bad things happening and fearing worse. But through it all, she has immense optimism. She's just an optimistic person. She, she You can feel her happiness. Um, she has great humor. There's a lot of fun anecdotes about her backyard turtle. <laughs> I'm very addicted to her Instagram now to, you know, to hear news of the turtle coming out in spring. She talks about itchy wool sweaters, her desire to be a sweater wearing person, but never actually being able to wear the sweaters. <laughs> I, I loved it. Um, and the thread that kind of pulls you through is the story of her son waking up in the middle of the night and having a grand mal seizure and then realizing he has a seizure disorder and what will that mean for his life? So these essays all kind of tie into her processing that also during the pandemic. And so you have a great narrative arc to pull you through. They're not disconnected, but you have some really fun topics to read. This is a perfect memoir and I would recommend it to anyone. Cool. All right, another out in um, another nonfiction out in hardcover is "Right for Your Life" by Anna Quinlan. Anna Quinlan has written a number of books. She's published in lots of magazines. Um, so in this book, she makes the case that we now more than ever should like return to this uh, to like journaling, to recording our daily lives, and um, that we've sort of lost touch with ourselves in the way the world is now. And that by writing every day and recording our lived experiences, we <clears throat> will find that sense of um, peace and understanding within ourselves that will allow us to better connect with others. Do you journal? I don't. Do Neither you? do I. I feel like it. I have tried at times and I just like can't get in the habit. Um, it feels like a lot. Exactly what she's advocating for. It's like a lost art. Um, yeah. I, I was reading Booth. 
by Karen Joy Fowler, and she relied heavily on some journals that she was able to get from the, the Booth family. And it makes you realize just how valuable that that record is. Yep. But it feels very um, egotistical. But you know what's interesting, though? It's like we will record our lives in the public sphere, right? right. In social media, but it's a very skewed, like, because we only post, like, the good things and we don't post the bad things. Mm-hmm. And so is it really an accurate record? Whereas if we were journaling just for ourselves, that would be a much How more honest like would unvarnished, be? you know, truth of recollection of what our lives are. I still don't know that I'll do it. I mean, I probably won't either, but I think it's an interesting concept and it right. is, and it is kind of a lost art. I mean, I think of like, I just read Endurance and so much of his research for that book was based on the journals that crew members kept. Right. And anytime you have to reflect back on your past, you realize how the details are just gone. Yeah. Yeah. And you do have to refer to your social media. Yeah. So. That's why I write all down lots of the funny things my kids say on social media. You're very good at it. Your kids are hilarious. There's something. All right. In kids' books, we have a couple uh, big standouts. The first one is the 100th anniversary edition of The Velveteen Rabbit. Oh, I know. This was written by Marjorie Williams. She broke all our hearts with that bunny who gets lost and becomes real, but the child loses it. So this is a classic tale written 1922. Um, very beautiful. This edition is illustrated by Erin Steed, one of the best working illustrators today. She wrote Sick Day for Amos McGee and many other books that have gotten um, quite a lot of attention. Her style is very gentle, beautiful, pastel. Um, She created block printing Mm -hmm. images for these illustrations and also like pencil and colored pencil. So it it is a work of art. These are just gorgeous, lovely illustrations, and it's perfectly timed for Easter. This is the book. If you haven't gotten a book for Easter yet for the kids in your life, this is the one to get. Yep. We have copies. It's beautiful. It is, to refer back to our previous conversation, one of the um, uncoded pages, I believe, and it has embossed cover, and this block printing is just gorgeous. And it's a really lovely bunny. So that's in picture books. In middle grade graphic, we have Cat Kid Comic Club on purpose. Okay, so this is Dav Pelkey. I say Dav. I should probably look it up. Real quick. Can edit <laughs> so this this, so my son is nine and he loves like anything by this author. And so he's been arguing with me. He wants me to bring the book home for him. And I said, well, it's not released yet. I have to wait for it to release. And he feels strongly that a perk of being a child of a bookstore owner is that he should have early access to all of these books. Right. I'm checking to see if how we pronounce. Hi, everybody. Happy Friday and welcome. I'm Serena Kappa, Senior Editorial Director of Scholastic Parents Online. And you are watching our show, um, our Facebook live show called Talk and Author. And our very, very, very special, I could say a lot more berries, is Dave Pilkey. Mm. 
All right, so I've just checked with Scholastic, and although there's no E on Dave Pilkey's first name, he is Dave Pilkey. So yeah, the creator of Dogman. Dogman has seen its conclusion, correct? I don't think so. Okay, well. I don't think so. He has um, expanded from Captain Underpants, Dogman, and now we have Cat Kid Comic Club. And this has been incredibly popular among our middle grade readers. It is um, got a really unique combination of illustration techniques. So there's like photography, collage, traditional illustration. It's just really um, fun to look at and holds kids' attention. So we have tons of pre-orders on the Cat Kid Comic Club number three on purpose. And this uh, book was delayed a week in its release and people came in looking <laughs> for it and it was it was interesting. So yeah. the release was pushed back a week. I do think one of the perks of being a bookstore owner's kid is that books accidentally make their way home. I mean, it might accidentally make its way home. Right. Um, but we also have to be responsible bookstore owners. But you know what's cool about Dave Pokey's writing is so my husband likes to read these books with my son like at bedtime so my son will read them on his own like over and over again but like it, my husband also really enjoys like the humor and the storytelling so like as an adult it's something you can enjoy with your child right. it's not just junk food yeah totally all right in young adult books we have a new title by emily xr pan the title is An Arrow to the Moon, and she is the author of The Astonishing Color of After. Oh, yeah. A, this is a staff favorite. Um, it's about a young girl coming to terms with her life after her mother's suicide and kind of figuring out who she is, who her family is. And it has a combination of um, realism and magical realism. There are magical, realistic um, components to her books. And that's repeated in this young adult novel. This book has a magical Ju Romeo and Juliet uh, pairing that also includes Chinese mythology as inspiration. Um, the main characters are Hunter Yi, who is very talented with a bow and arrow, um, but he has a a complicated family history and he'd really like to run away from all of this, but he is staying for his brother and also the girl who's cut his eye at school. That's Luna Chang. She is very much under the pressure of her parents and their expectations for her. And she connects with Hunter. There's family issues, love, high school, and these magical elements about a very strong wind um, that seems to influence parts of the story, um, the mystery of the moon. So there's magic and realism. And I think this is going to be a really great young adult read. What's unique about the copies we have in the store are um, we have these art prints that the publisher sent with them. Um, it's an illustration of the two kids under a tree looking up at the moon and um, it, it's 
was painted by the author. So wow. that's a really cool perk of picking up this book this week. And she's a great writer. I mean, this is a book that is written for teenagers, but I think adults can easily enjoy her. Yeah, writing. she has yeah. a huge crossover. The Astonishing Color of After was read by quite a few adults. If you haven't read it, um, pick it up. Yep. All right. What's happening at the store this week? So tomorrow we've got story time with Rachel. So I'm helping my mom. Um, so Rachel is, she's wonderful. She has a nephew that she is just in love with. So she's great with kids and she'll be reading Wednesday she'll, at 10 She'll bring out the stuffed lovey. Yeah. Cause lovey won't be there either. On Thursday, we have Trivia Night, 7 to 9. Make sure you sign up on our website. It's just so popular. We don't have enough room for everyone who wants to come. So if you would do us a favor and sign up ahead of time, that would be great. And then lastly, we are open this Sunday, Easter Sunday. So regular hours. So if you're looking for something to do, uh, pop on by the store. We've noticed that on holiday weekends, people love having their family into town and like an opportunity to get out of the house for a little bit. This is the perfect place to do it. Come in, have a cup of coffee after church and enjoy spending time at Duggard Books with your family. Yep. And we put it to our Sunday staff and they wanted to be here. So we are glad to be open and we hope you'll come visit. All right. Cheers to another great week of reading. Cheers. Remember, uh, subscribe, like, follow, because you want to find out what's happening in Dog Eared Books every single week. Yep. And if you don't live in Ames, you can always follow us on social or hit our website to order books. Follow us at, at Dog Eared Books Ames or at Dog Eared Books on TikTok. All right, listeners, keep the champagne flowing and the books going. This is so great. It's so great. <laughs>